and welcome to another episode of Mark My Words. Don't forget the colon. This episode comes with a content warning of substance abuse and addiction. And because of that, I have decided to keep the guest anonymous and to protect this person's anonymity. The voice that you are hearing in this recording is not the guest that I have interviewed. However, it is a person reading out their answers. So please don't speculate who this person is as if you can uh, recognize the person's voice. It is not that person and please just respect their anonymity. Okay, so that's that's me hearing you through the recording. Can you hear me? We can. Fab. Okay, that's actually really good quality. Okay, um, so it's already recording, um, but obviously I'll cut this bit out because this is a really crap intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, Manji, do you want to just say a couple of things and I'll just check the audio? Okay. Um, hello, <laughs> my name is Manjo. <laughs> can you hear that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Awesome stuff. Okay. Um, so I'm guessing you have all your answers and kind of stuff. All that ready? Yeah. Yeah. We've got it all. That Word stuff. document. Okay. So I'll have already put a trigger warning in the beginning of the episode, basically saying content warning, you know, substance abuse, addiction, all those kind of thing. Um, I'll probably re-record it just because the audio is not very good, but I'll add in anything else that needs a trigger warning, like uh, or anything that may come up in conversation, basically. Um, but yeah, cool stuff. Okay. So um, as I say, Anything you want me to rephrase, re-ask, or anything like that, just say, because I can do the works on editing. Um, yeah. Ready? Ready. Yeah. Fab oh. stuff. Hello and welcome. So thank you very much for joining me on this episode, uh, Dimitri and friend. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Yeah. So I think we should probably just start from the very top. Um We've obviously had a conversation before this recording, and I know a little bit about uh, your experience and your story before this. So why don't you start off by outlining your experience and where you are today? Um, so I suffered from an addiction when I was younger. My um, cousin introduced me to weeds at 14, and he was family. I felt... Um, quite safe in that environment with him so um I experimented um I didn't get high straight away but it was a gateway drug for me because I suppose it sparked my interest in other types of drugs um it was an exciting experience and I suppose when once you have a dealer for weed and one drug you suddenly have a contact for loads of different things you could easily just ask that same dealer to link you up with a different drug um it just becomes quite accessible very quickly so when you first started as you say it was experimenting how did this develop further beyond social taking um so i think what was really important what was a really important factor was that i was friends with quite toxic people who were also constantly smoking and they would often ask me to contribute money towards buying weed so i became like pretty involved um, in the process of providing not only for myself but my friends as well um, due to this like sort of unconscious peer pressure um, I started smoking twice a week I would say um, but then eventually 
um, I stopped hanging around with these people when I was around 15 or 16 at this time, I think. And my weed consumption did lower a little bit. So again, I think that just shows that how powerful like the people you hang around with and your environment really is. Um, but, you know, regardless of that, the seeds had already kind of been planted in my mind. Weed was always going to be in my life now because the bottom line was I did enjoy being stoned. And I learned how to roll, um, which was, you know, really fundamental in me smoking by myself at home. Um, you know, for instance, I would take the opportunity to smoke a joint, you know, whenever my parents were out and I was actually supposed to be babysitting my brother. So there was a lot of scheming going on from me. I would be thinking about, you know, when I could fit it in um, and what I could use like, to my advantage and stuff to get away with it. And um, at this time as well, I was told at parents' evenings that, you know, um, I was smart, but I wasn't working hard enough. And obviously the weeds had a big influence on that. So my head just wasn't in the right place at all during that time of being around, yeah, about 15 or 16, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And with you being so young when you were taking, only a teenager, especially when you started, and as you say, it hit a point, um, how did that affect your school days and social groups? Um, as you say, you had friends, but if teachers knew you weren't working hard enough, how do you think that affected your formative years? Um, so I think it obviously had quite a significant effect on my education. Um, initially, I actually moved schools, um, but I actually already, you know, obviously picked up the smoking habit. I was smoking weed on my own. I knew how to roll a joint. So, you know, it, it was available to me whenever I wanted. And um, when I did move schools, you know, the people there sort of viewed me as edgy for doing drugs. And I never sort of succumbed to the cliques. Um, the clique sorry at my um school um and I never wanted to change my habits just in order to fit in with this new group this sort of new like style of people um I was pretty happy to be like the new stoner kid and you know despite that I did become one of the most popular people at school and one of the first um you know in my year to get a girlfriend so it kind of like positively reinforced my my weed smoking and um you know, because I did have a girlfriend, um, you know, which was probably a positive influence in my life. I smoked weed now and then with mates. It wasn't like a constant thing. But when I broke up with her after a year, that's when my smoking increased again. And, you know, my friendship group at this point suffered as well because all of my girlfriend's friends, my ex-girlfriend's friends, sorry, started hating me. And, you know, the boys I was friends with at the time wanted to stay friends with that girl group. So I was effectively pushed out in a way. Um, and that, you know, made me join a new friendship group. And this is the point. Um, this, you know, this new friendship group didn't actually smoke weed. And I ended up selling to them with a friend to make money. And that sort of made my own smoke, my own weed habit. Um, it was free for me now because, you know, if I'm dealing and supplying to people, I can just, I don't need to go out of my way to like buy um, weed for myself. And obviously that costs um, my education and a lot of other people's education in my school, like the, their A-levels did suffer for it significantly. And it got to the point where we would sit in the same room and do the same stuff all the time. And that's when I realised that I needed to leave that group of friends because we were all sort of just, in, like, you know, we were all dragging each other down. Um, I felt like I was wasting my time and my life pretty much. 
and at the time I did blame them I thought it was you know them that were influencing me to continue with my weed habit but ultimately like I was just as bad if not worse because um I would do the same stuff alone or just with another friend anyway so I think there was a lot of um evading responsibility for myself at the time um and I think there was an awkward friction because I had a list on my phone of supposed friends that owed me money for weed but still managed to go on nights out um, so there was kind of like an elephant in the room almost around with everyone I pretty much knew. And I suppose like looking back now, I realised that um, they weren't my real friends. Even though we are still friends now, I think um, I don't um, I don't look back bitterly on them at all. Because I think, you know, we were very young. And at that time, like you just you don't really know the repercussions of what you do. And you just kind of, you know, you're so quick to judge someone when they do something wrong. But at the end of the day, like, no one knew better. So it's mm-hmm. not like I blame them anymore. It's just at the time, I think, um, I was more inclined to hold them accountable for my addiction rather than myself. Whereas mm-hmm. now I look at it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And that lens that you look at it through now, do you feel any guilt towards, as you say, your influence upon them? Yeah, um, definitely. I do feel guilt because, um, as I said before, it probably um, did affect the kind of A-levels they got, um, it, you know, and presumably their mental health, which, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know the ins and outs of, but I can only assume that it had um, it had negative effects on their life. But at the end of the day, I know that I can't, blame myself and like be overridden with guilt like you know disproportionately because at the end of the day weed is a very popular drug in this country and whether I'd introduce them to it or not at that time chances are they would have found it through someone else or at a later stage in their life and in one way at least they were getting it from someone they knew and they could trust rather than you know finding like a dodgy dealer and getting into a getting into more trouble mm-hmm. thank you so moving on from there where did your dependence slash addiction lead to um as you say you've it affected your relationships with others and your time in school but how dark did it get um so i'd say it led to some pretty dark situations yeah um one example that comes to mind is that when i was um learning to drive when i was 17 and i had a provisional license um, my mum asked if I if I could drive us to pick us um, pick up a new puppy um, during the night, and I um, decided to do a bong hit um, just before, and then drove us obviously very stoned. And I think that just speaks volumes for like how irresponsible I really was because it wasn't even that I was affecting strangers' lives. You know, even though those friends I had before weren't strangers. They obviously weren't as close to me as my mum was. I still, you know, even my mum, like I wasn't able to respect her enough or myself to really think about um, what the consequences of my actions could have been. Like I could have got us into a serious accident. I got involved in a street fight as well, um, which could have obviously led me um, to get very hurt because there were knives involved. Another example I would say is that I did um, deal with one of my close friends and... um, we wanted to work together and 
you know, I trusted him. We also enjoyed it. Initially, it was just so we could get weed for free. Um, I would sell my weed and make my money back and also make a profit. But it then got to a point where I would make my money back but wouldn't make a profit. And then suddenly that slipped into me getting to a point where I wasn't making a profit or making my money back. So it kind of like just got worse in increments. And all throughout this, I would still be smoking regardless. And I think it would be very fair to say that I was definitely dependent on the drug and couldn't really get by without it. But, you know, there would be various occasions I would drink drive like to get weed from dealers' houses because I needed it to even do like basic things like sleep and you know I think I know I've mentioned this before but it's a big example um of how weed affected my life it did ruin my a-levels um I could have done a lot better and you know I think one of my friends um he lived around the corner from me and that obviously again made it so much more accessible all I had to do was you know walk around the block just to just to smoke weed it's not like it was hard for me to get away from um, my parents, for example, to be able to smoke. What helped was I had a neighbour that I became really good friends with and he was also um, into smoking weed. And we would work out together in the gym and then reward ourselves with weed. And it kind of like helped us bond and it was like a big part of our friendship. And obviously weed is a very social drug. Like you want to smoke with people normally. So they kind of like helped each other, like me having a new friend and us also enjoying smoking weed. Like it kind of, each kind of influ- like influenced our friendship to be closer, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And, but you know, it did get to a point where we wouldn't even, for example, like I said, we would reward ourselves with weed if we went to the gym, but it got to a point where sometimes we wouldn't even work out. We'd just get stoned instead, or we'd get stoned and then do a bit of exercise after, but obviously, the efficiency with which you can do exercise stones is quite mm. quite low um and then i went from smoking joints to smoking bongs which would paralyze me every night it's obviously a very different high um and as you can probably tell from what i'm saying it was a it was a slippery slope for me there was lots of factors that got me to that point and yeah it wasn't it wasn't just one thing in isolation so when things were, as you say, accelerating um, out of your control, would you say that you were aware of the situation or were you pretty numb to it? Um, I would say when I got into that fight and there was a knife um, involved, I think that did put things into perspective a little bit. But during my GCSEs, when I first started smoking around that time, I didn't really take take it seriously like I didn't really I was aware that obviously you know smoking weed isn't the best lifestyle choice in terms of health but I didn't really care like I didn't think it was that serious and also with GCSEs I always knew that the A-levels were like the main deal they were still to come so I was kind of like not too bothered in a way and also I was around people that also wanted to smoke weed and it was bringing us closer together as friends and it was just sort of in a way, it seemed like a positive thing rather than a bad thing. But obviously, as I got towards the end of my A-levels and I didn't get the grades I wanted, and as I said, that fight happened, um, that did really... That's when I think I started to think that there was there was something wrong with the way I was um, living. 
so yeah also I think what was another um sort of significant moment was when I did um mess up my A-levels or you know not get as high as a grade as I should have um this kind of like I felt quite a lot of guilt because my parents had always spent a lot of money on making sure I had a good education I sent to private school from early age and I just felt like I'd wasted their money and really let them down and I had intentions to go get out of Newcastle and go to Liverpool um for university but I couldn't because of the grades I got and that so you know there was a combination of guilt that I felt for letting my parents down but I also had let myself down a lot so yeah that was quite a a hard um hard feeling for me which you know I'm still coming to um coming to terms with so on the topic of parental and family relationships what role did this play in your dependence um, so I think it played quite um, a big role because I would, you know, um, frequently smoke with some of my older cousins um, who lived quite near me. And again, obviously, weed does bond people. It was a bonding experience for us to um, have the shared interest and the shared activity. Um, I even smoked with my uncle once, which, you know, again, was quite a unique bonding experience um Mm. and them living near me you know made it a lot easier and more accessible as well um it wasn't hard for us to meet up and smoke a joint together um and there was quite a few times where I've smoked with my dad in the house and you know my mum wasn't pleased with that but my dad was okay with me um smoking in the house occasionally and also found out that I was dealing weed he was he wasn't angry I wasn't punished because he thought I was doing it in a safe way if that makes sense he thought I was dealing to friends people I knew and when we did smoke we were smoking you know in the garden or in an environment that wasn't dangerous and you know him himself when he was younger I think he smoked weed too so I think he probably had that idea in his head that at least he's doing it in a safe way rather than doing it out on the streets and I wouldn't even know about it um but you know there was a lot of times where he would come home um drunk from the pub and ask you know if I could roll us to join and you know, he'd even offer to pay me for it so I think that kind of you know not being punished and also sort of my dad participating in it as well as a way for us to bond sort of allowed me to continue with um my addiction in a way that I think um you know wasn't his fault at all because he you know still made it made me aware that he does think we'd watch your brain and it slows you down and makes you lazy when I was 18 my parents actually did find my stash of drugs um and that really humbled me I suppose because it made me realize that my life actually could be better without drugs because you know, having that conversation with my parents where they found, you know, because, you know, they thought, my dad thought I was just dealing weed, but I, at this point, started dealing MDMA as well. Um, You know, because we were 18, this was a time when everyone had started clubbing and it was, you know, the sort of, the sort of drug that we wanted to do, you know, because you don't want to be stoned in a club, I suppose. Um, And that obviously was something my dad wasn't aware of, the um, MDMA part. And, 
so you know I sort of breached the trust there and also I realized I was putting my whole family at risk because MDMA being a class A drug like that does risk my dad's position at work for example and there was a point where my mum even said to me that she'd rather give me the money that I earn from dealing um herself rather than me go out and deal because I suppose to them I was kind of selling it as a business venture um rather than admitting that I had a problem um and I realized you know my mum saying that it made me feel so guilty like of course you shouldn't have to pay me money just to get me to stop dealing like that's just ridiculous and you know with me selling MDMA as well my dad not knowing about that part he realized that I was capable of lying to him and I again you know it started to click in my head that I was actually exposing my younger brother to drugs as well you know in in my head I was doing a good thing I was trying to educate him and tell him what good drugs are what bad drugs are like you know what to say no to where to buy stuff from but you know it was a selfish selfish position because although I felt like I was being a good older brother really that wasn't it wasn't up like I didn't need to do that there was lots of other ways he could have gain the same information rather than you know being exposed to drugs at such a young age um and you know it was I just realized how selfish I was being and everything I suppose um you know my parents' concern was so evident about me and I realized how lucky I was to actually have parents that were willing to even listen to my side of the story now I'm sure we can all think of a lot of people that wouldn't even get a second chance from their mum and dad if they found out they were selling drugs and the feeling of my parents being so understanding and really feeling that they were on my side um, really motivated me to actually try and turn things around a little bit. So, you know, I started recording on my phone um, using emojis every time um, that I did drugs. And I would then show my parents this. And I was being very honest with them about, you know, where I was um, in my journey. And... Um, for example, if I was craving weed, I would tell my mum and she would go out of her way to distract me. Um, so, you know, that was so lovely of her. And But what I want to just express is that I became completely honest with my parents. Like, I wanted them to be proud of me. So I realised that I wasn't going to be able to just completely stop everything. Um, so, you know, I, was, I told them um, exactly where I was in terms of my relationship with drugs. Um, and I really wanted them to be proud of me. And um, so I think that was a big motivating force. Um, so yeah, family did definitely have a positive, positive role in this. And I'm so fortunate to have the support that they gave me because I'm very aware that not everyone has the same privilege. Ab, thank you. So apart from your parents' influence on you while you were uh, in recovery, I suppose, uh, what did that recovery process look like? Um, so obviously there was a lot of um, triggers to kickstart me into that change, I would say. And um, one of them was not doing well in my A-levels and not getting into a Russell Group Uni as I'd always intended to. Um, I felt like I really missed out on an opportunity. Um and I ruminate, ruminated about this every night because, you know, I can't, you can't take, you can't go back and change things. And it was such a significant point of my life. Like your university um, location is such an important um, feat of your future. And I basically just, you know, 
dismissed any chance of going um, to a new place by smoking weed. And it just, I couldn't, you know, I was thought about this every night and I struggled to sleep just thinking about the what ifs. And I felt like, you know, again, that I'd wasted my parents' money that they spent on my education and really let them down. And as well as that, I realised that in terms of my behaviour, when I was stoned, this made me quite introverted, whereas naturally I'm an extroverted person. And it, that, it just clicked in my head that it didn't make sense to be someone that you to actively choose to do something that made you into someone so unlike who you really are. And I realised I was much happier going for a drink and, you know, being social and happy rather than a smoke. And it started to feel, you know, ludicrous almost that I was actively engaging um, in an activity that actually pushed me away from my true self. Um, and, you know, it is a scar that will be with me for life. But I realised I need to stop crying about it. What's done is done. Um, and you start thinking about what I could do to improve my situation rather than torturing myself with images of a life I could have had. Because at the end of the day, you know, every single day is a new opportunity. And although I did shut some doors, there's so many more that, you know, so many more things that I've got to look forward to that I might actually miss as well if I keep obsessing over the past. And um, I started to get into a lot of self-development books and YouTube videos, which are an excellent source of guidance and motivation. And, um, you know, having friends, making friends at university as well um, that understood these issues really helped. Um, one friend in particular, he was going through similar stuff and we both agreed we were killing our potential and our ambitions. We both wanted to be successful. So we um, created a pack actually involving um, money to quit. And when people around you have um, quit something too or want to, it's so much easier because you have that feeling of not wanting to let them down and also that sort of competitive side where you want to, you know, um, stick to your guns. And obviously there was money on the line, so financially I couldn't afford to um, start smoking again, really. Um, and, you know, I want people to hear this and think I'm a little bit like that and understand that they, you know, as well have that power within themselves to change if they want to. And, you know, this can apply to any addiction. Weed is just my personal vice. Um, but everyone, you know, has their own. Um, and be it a drug or something else. And I think another important thing is, you know, being aware of who you choose to hang around with. Like, as you could probably tell from my story, the people I was friends with have always had a big influence on me. So becoming friends with someone at university that wanted to change their bad habits I was, you know, such a great influence on me. And I realised that it's really important to have people with um, similar intentions to you as friends. Um, and, you know, friends that want to, you know, foster your ambitions rather than kill them. And um, even now, you know, I do fall off the horse sometimes. Um, I quit for a month and that was hard in itself because the withdrawal symptoms were horrible. Like I couldn't sleep. Um, I was sweating having dreams and um I did come you know I did carry on though I did you know quit for a for a whole month of not I had no weed at all during that time but then one day I smoked a joint when someone offered me one after that month and that triggered me to smoke weed every day again for three and a half weeks and I only stopped because another um we had another monetary bet um amongst me and my friends and the hardest thing again was quitting quitting something um when your friends 
are doing the opposite so you know although I have this friends that we both want to quit together I do have at the same time I have a lot of friends that you know do still smoke weed and when they offer you something you know part of you wants to say yes no matter you know um how far away from being a stoner I really want to be um but yeah I think I suppose the message of what I'm trying to say there is that it's not always a linear path um to recovery sometimes I think it takes um taking a step back and falling off the horse a little bit to inspire yourself to make that massive leap forwards and you know again yeah growth is not a linear process and you, you will make mistakes everybody does and the important thing is learning from them and not letting your life slip out of your hands just for a short-term burst of dopamine and you know um I think I realised now that smoking was a, my way of escaping my responsibilities. Um, it meant a free pass to not do work. Um, so yeah, it was a dependency and getting high was a way to escape from the stress of A-levels. And even though I'd been in so many friendship groups during that time when my um, addiction first started, I felt, you know, I did feel all alone. They weren't my real friends. So having weed there was a way to deal with that negativity, I suppose. And I realised though that... Um, that life is inherently full of suffering and that's you know quite a philosophical stance I suppose but um we have the power to choose how we suffer regardless of that you know there's always going to be something to to cry about but you know you can choose what that is I suppose is what I'm trying to say um so I realized as well that I could suffer in the short term you know doing uni work that was taking me ages or really didn't want to do but reap its benefits in the long term by actually getting good grades and you know using that to um help me get a job etc rather than smoke and which would although it was providing me short-term joy um you know it was probably it's probably in the long term um gonna give me make me likely to feel you know anxious or depressed and lonely as I have felt as a result of weed in the past and you know I'm not expecting anyone to hear this and you know just cut weed off completely and never smoke weed again um but I think what I want to really get across is that there's a fine balance of enjoying your youth and not destroying your future. Whereas I had a big imbalance. I wasn't a functional stoner, but some people are. Um, so it's all about, you know, your specific situation. And for me, I think I realised I wasn't, even um enjoying my youth and I was certainly destroying my future so that's why for me it was important to um change things around and being stoned and having that addiction I realized I was always at about 60% capacity of who I was and um I realized I was missing out so much on who I could be and um I remember I bought a wee testing kit and I remember really wanting to pass it. And although I failed it to begin with, um, I passed the second time. And that's when, you know, weed was finally out of my system. And I started to feel at 100% capacity. And I enjoyed that feeling. I felt like a truer version of myself. And I suppose that was um, the biggest motivation I needed to continue um, doing the work that I need to do to reduce my weed consumption as much as possible. So there is some contention on this topic as to whether or not certain people are more or less likely to fall into this kind of obsessive trap. Would you say that you may have always had this kind of issue or was it more circumstantial for you? Um, I think because of my 
cousin smoking weed and them living near me, um, it was kind of inevitable. Um, I do think I have a very addictive personality because um, of my dad, I feel like we've got similar traits and I don't remember feeling like I had much of a choice with weed. Um, and, you know, even looking at the facts, there are functional stoners, which makes me think that it's my brain in particular couldn't hack um, hack weed. And um, I think, you know, even though influence of friends is quite um, a big thing, I think regardless of whoever I was friends with, I probably would have fallen into this, um, the same trap of um, abusing weed because, you know, I can blame others all I like, but at the end of the day, it was my choice. And it all comes down to a lack of self-discipline. And I suppose that is what I'm on um, the path to improving right now. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate your honesty. And thank you very much to your good friend who has been reading out your answers. So that was one of the more intense interviews I've done for this podcast and I'm very grateful to Dimitri for being so open and honest about his feelings, his story and his reflections. Obviously he was kept anonymous in this interview and his answers were given by someone else who was happy to have their voice recorded. So please don't speculate about who the subject is of this interview nor who was giving out the answers because in the end that only harms their anonymity and uh, undermines how open they were and willing to talk about this. So thank you again to Dimitri and to Dimitri's friend for reading out their answers. And thank you to Molly J. Kilday for making the cover art for this episode. You can find her on Instagram at Molly J. Kilday. And she also has a website of all of her animation work. So please go and check her out. And thank you again to Dimitri. Thanks.